the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Hey, we are in a series called Old Gospel, New Life, going through the book of Galatians. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. And one of the things that's today what we're going to talk about is so important. And it's so important for all kinds of reasons. But for most of us, uh, we find the dominant story of our lives to be our story. That's, that's fairly typical. But what Paul is doing for this church is he's helping reframe their story around the story, the larger story, the most important story, which is the story of God. And what happens to us when our story is the dominant story, then we have to interpret all of life through the lens of our own personal story. You have to interpret your past, your present, your future, and God gets reduced to just sort of this slapping salvation onto the bumper of your story. And it's really much bigger than that. The need is to find our story within the context of God's story, and as we find our stories there, we realize that the salvation that Jesus has given you shapes everything. It reframes your story. It reinterprets your past. It reclaims your future. But it doesn't happen by accident. It happens through that intentionality of faith that's willing to dig in and sort of understand what God has done. To actually let yourself be blown away by all that God has done. And so as we come to this passage, what Paul's doing is that he's reframing their story, their experience through the larger story of what God had had been doing all along. For this church in Galatia, they had received Jesus. They were, there was a lot of Jews and there was a lot of Gentiles. So they already had these sort of ethnic tensions. But those ethnic tensions were also sort of exacerbated by the religious tensions. Because the Jews had the law from the Old Testament. And they believed that if we were going to fulfill righteousness. If we were going to really live this thing out. Then we not only do we need to receive Jesus, but we need to add on all the requirements of the law. They were certain Jews among them that were teaching this, that were saying, look, let's interpret the Jesus story through our personal story, our personal experience. And Paul's going, you can't do that. If you try to add anything to the grace of Christ, you actually diminish it. And so in this passage, what he does is he begins to reframe and reinterpret and reclaim their future, just as the salvation of Christ is supposed to do with us. So look with me at verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that's been duly established, so it is in this case. 
The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And the scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. So the question was, did the law that showed up on the scene that, that had all kinds of glory to it, there was thunder and the angel showed up and he came down, Moses came off the mountain with the 10 commandments and it was this sort of huge deal and it was scary and God was just like thundering and people who came near, he would say, don't come near because you'll die. So it was this huge moment and they were going, the law is glorious. It, it was this huge thing. But the promise was just Abraham and God talking. So isn't the, didn't the law set aside that promise? Isn't the law the thing we're supposed to be about? And Paul says no. He says when two parties agree on something, somebody can't, a third party can't show up and change it. God and Abraham entered into this covenant. And the law shows up later and it doesn't get to change it. And God made the covenant with Abraham. And he said to him, through you all the nations will be blessed through your seed. In other words, salvation was going to come through Abraham, through the seed who is Christ. And that's when all of us enter into that blessing of salvation. Now was that a covenant of works or was it a covenant of grace? Well, let me ask you something. If you were to go to your grandparents and say, hey, one thing you should do before you die is you should populate the world. They would say nothing works anymore, right? I mean, that's the problem with Abraham. He's going, I'm old and my wife's old and she's barren and we can't have kids. And you're telling me this ridiculous promise that I'm supposed to populate the world, that the seed will come and bless the world. And he's like, it, it's not going to happen. You can't do that by works when it doesn't work. Right? But grace fulfills the promise. And so through that grace, Jesus comes through as the Messiah. Through this massive people called Israel that, that became, came into being. Through this miraculous promise that God made to Abraham. And it's no different for you and I. Like we think that we can somehow make this salvation happen. But it's not through anything that you, you can concoct. Or any sort of philosophy of life that you develop. It's through grace. And discovering that Christ has saved you. And living into that salvation. It's all by faith through grace, which came through the seed who was Jesus. And we inherit the benefit of that. We inherit the blessing of salvation, the blessing of the promise that was made to Abraham. 
And Paul is saying, why would you want to go back and sort of take that away by adding the law to it? Look at verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions. Until the seed to whom the promise referred had come, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. And so he keeps taking and addressing this issue of the law and reframing the story that they understood about their past through the lens of the gospel. And he says the law is inferior to the promise. And it's inferior for a few different reasons. Now, he has to address this. Because if you were a Jew, you would not think the law was inferior. I mean, it came after they were released from slavery, from Pharaoh's grasp for 400 years. God met Moses on a mountain with angels. There was thunder, the mountain trembled, the people couldn't go near it, and the law came as Moses came down from the mountain with tablets of stone. It was a momentous, defining moment, an identity marker for the people of Israel. You and I have laws too that we live by. They're not the law of the Old Testament, but you have identity markers that you, you live by, that you think are glorious. Paul is now calling them back to a conversation that God and Abraham had. And it was like, dude, the law is so much more glorious in our history than that little promise that was made to Abraham. And Paul now is saying, actually, the law is inferior to the promise. And it's inferior because it was temporary. It it was only here to reveal sin. It had an end date. It was here until the seed came that was promised with unconditional love and all was grace. The law is inferior because it depends on meeting certain conditions. You have to achieve this and that to be called righteous. By grace is an unconditional gift that God gave to Abraham That you and I get to inherit. The law had a purpose. And it had an end date. And the end date came. When Christ came. And so now. The righteousness that the people of God live out of. Is not by the law. And it's not by the flesh. But it's by the spirit. It's inferior because the law required a mediator. Moses. Now, a mediator sits between two people who aren't getting along, and he tries to get them to agree. And Paul is saying that there was Moses, and it was given to, God gave it to angels. The angels gave it to Moses. Moses brought it to the people. The people received the law third hand. But the promise was given by God to Abraham from himself. And at the end, he says, God is one. The law is inferior to the promise. And the promise to Abraham of the seed who would appear to save all of us was so much greater, so much glorious than the law. And so what Paul does is he goes, let me reinterpret your history 
through the gospel. And I want you to rethink about where you've misplaced the law, that identity marker that made you confident in yourself. And he asked basically the question that's underneath all the question, do you believe that your salvation in this beautiful answered promise of Jesus Christ given to you is more glorious than the law? Do you believe that your salvation is more glorious than any other thing in your story? It's difficult at times to relate to the law if you didn't grow up as an Orthodox Jew. We kind of go back and we go, yeah, that's the part that, you know, there's a lot of commands. But the truth is, while the Old Testament law plays a very specific role in our lives today and in the Old Testament, you and I live by different types of laws. They're those things that you lean into and go, this is actually more glorious or more important to me than my salvation. Some of you would say, I want Christ, but I don't want to give up sin, right? That's a law. It's something that's framing your story. It's framing your experience of salvation. And it's driven by a lie. And it's a lie that says sin gives life, not Christ. Sin is freedom, not Christ. Those are all lies. Our invitation, the invitation of Paul, is that the gospel reframes your relationship with sin. It rewrites that law and says, no, sin is death. Christ is life. Now, interpret your story through that. Some of us have laws that we live by. I needed Christ to save me, but my good works will make me righteous. Now that I'm saved, I gotta get on with it and show God that I can keep up, that I can distinguish myself, that I'm smart enough, that I'm good enough, as if your righteousness is gonna gain you acceptance before God. And the lie is that righteousness comes through works, not through Jesus. The only way you and I will ever be declared righteous is because Christ is righteous and you are in Christ and that's grace. Some of us have a law that says I want Christ but I want my righteousness to be culturally defined. Like I want, I would be embarrassed to actually have Christ take up too much of my story. Because I want, to be, I want to be a cool Portlander. That means uh, what I really trust in is my cultural rightness. So whether that's because, I was going to say recycle, but we don't have a choice about that. Uh, unless you're in Vancouver. So congratulations. Um, but I bike, my car runs on veggie oil, whatever those things are. You're like, that's, that's righteousness. For others of you that laugh at those people, it it could be voting Republican. 
just so you know, that the pendulum swings both ways. It is whatever you go to for that sense of I'm right and my righteousness is culturally defined. And the lie there is that your cultural rightness is greater than the glory and the righteousness of the Son of God. Anytime you lean into any law that you create for yourself, it ends in death, not life. Some of you look at your story right now and you go, I'm frustrated at every turn. Some of you are trying to do really good things for really wrong reasons. But what if your story was was told through the lens of what Jesus has done in your life? What would happen then? Paul looked beyond the drama of the law, he, uh, the cultural rightness of the law, the self-righteousness of the law, and he went right to the essentials of grace. And he said the law was temporarily needed. It was inferior because it needed a mediator. But the promise was permanent and no mediator. Because Abraham was promised a seed who would appear and bless all people. And that's Jesus Christ. So then the question becomes, well, isn't this law then contradicting everything? Look at verse 21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. If the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come from the law. But the scriptures locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Paul says, listen, the law is not a bad thing. It cooperated with the promise and fulfilled the purposes of God. It means they're, because they're not contradicting, they're complementary. And where they got the law wrong is that they went to the law to say, through the law, I could be made right before God. But that's not what the law was for. The law was there to reveal sin, to reveal our need for a savior, not to give righteousness or life. If that could have happened, he says, Jesus never would have had to die. Jesus would never have had to die if you and I could have made it happen. If Abraham could have populated the world on his own and brought blessing of salvation. If you name it. If you could found life in your sin, then Jesus didn't have to die. If you could be righteous because you were a good enough Christian, then Jesus didn't have to die. If you could be accepted before God because you recycle and drive a car or vote Republican, Jesus would never have to die. Your story that you keep leaning into needs to be rewritten through the lens of your salvation. Your past brings you to a place of need. 
And the need is for a savior. And God in his grace has given his son to be your savior. The law shows us that we're sinners, but grace shows us forgiveness in Christ. It's useful to reveal sin and it's useless to achieve righteousness. And the law is not, there's no issues about the law. The law is not bad. I'm bad. The law is holy, but I'm not. The law is just, but I'm not. The law complements the promise. Look at verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For, there are, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. See, the law was given to prepare the way for Christ. And so Paul uses this picture of a guardian, a custodian, that they would have understood in their culture, this Roman culture. So many of the people who worked for Roman citizens or people who were well-educated slaves would serve as custodians and gardeners, gardeners, guardians for Roman citizens but the children of Roman citizens. And their purpose in doing that was to teach them, to educate them, to discipline them, to grow up to become an adult citizen. And Paul says, look, the law was given to be the guardian. It was there to govern your life, to govern daily life for you, to discipline you. But when the promise came, then it was no longer needed. Jews weren't born through the law. They were born through the promise made to Abraham. They were brought up by the law, but they weren't born by the law. The guardian wasn't the father. He was the teacher and the disciplinarian. The law didn't give life, it regulated it. Just as the laws we make to ourselves don't give us life, they're the things that you go to to try to control your life. But when the promise comes, you don't need those rudimentary things anymore. And so he says, essentially, that the law was there to prepare them for the promised seed. The ultimate goal of the promised seed was Christ. But before this, they were held in custody. And the law did all kinds of things to them. They, it separated them from other nations, from other people. It made all kinds of distinctions. But the law could never do what the promise does. The law couldn't justify the sinner. 
And the law could never give us oneness with God. The, the language that he uses is, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, clothe yourself with Christ. The law could never do this. Faith in Christ means that we're coming to Jesus and he's saying, I want you to take off the clothes of your past. I want you to take off the things that have named you and I want you to put on my clothes. I want you to put on Jesus. And, and, and so when you think about your story and reframing your past and reinterpreting your present, you have to do it understanding that you are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. It's the only way that it works for you is that you put on Christ and you change your clothing from sin to righteousness. This was a huge part in the Roman culture that when the child was no longer a child but became an adult, they would put on, take off their childish garb and they'd put on the adult toga of Roman citizenship. So Paul is saying, listen, you were held in custody by the law but now the promise has come. You've put on the adult toga of Christ's righteousness. Why would you go back and submit yourself to the law? He says, you're a child of God. And in this context, if the picture is an adult child, not one that needs a guardian or one that needs a custodian, but one that's an heir, a son and a daughter of God. The law could never have done that. Only the promised could do it. All the distinctiveness now and the social stigmas of race, of gender, of status, of money. He says all those things that, that, that the law and society would create are gone there's neither slave, nor free, nor Jew, nor Gentile, nor male, nor female. All are one in Christ. It means that you've been clothed with righteousness. That's your story. And you are a legitimate son and a legitimate daughter of your father through Christ by grace. You are an adult child who is an heir inheriting all of the blessings that are Jesus's because those blessings now are yours too. That's very different than just slapping a little bumper sticker on the story of your life that says Jesus saves. That means it's reinterpreting, redefining how you understand everything. It's not diminishing the fact that you're black or white or male or female, it's, but it's saying those things don't separate us. We've been united in Jesus Christ. The law could never do it. The law and all the laws that you live by, they separate, they divide, they distinguish. But the grace, the gospel, the promise, it unites us as brothers and sisters 
It levels the playing field and gives us a massive inheritance. It is so difficult for us to wrap our minds around the power of this story. We tend to look back at our past and we let that reframe it and that sets the course for how I understand today and it definitely creates my outlook for the future. And so we're essentially like homeless kids who have been kicking and fighting our way through life and then all of a sudden we get brought into this mansion with this loving father and this sacrificial brother who saves us. And he says, look, take off those clothes You're all dirty and torn and messed up here. I want you to put on this and it's this glorious outfit of royalty. He goes, look, this is all yours now. You can go around the perimeter. You can see everything that's in the barn, eat anything that's in the house. And and when that happens to you, you're sort of like, dude, who are these people, right? It's uncomfortable, But when you sit down at that table and the father looks at you and the son looks at you and he says, you are a son, you are a daughter, you are an heir, this is all yours. That rewrites your story. That's what Paul's telling them here. Why in the world would you go back into that childish custody of the law? Why in the world would you and I leave the palace of our home in Christ to go back into the streets of our own poverty and sin? Why would we ever do that? The glory of the gospel is that 2,000 years before Christ, A promise was made to a man who was old and couldn't have kids that God would save the world through his seed. And 2,000 years later, that Messiah comes after a whole nation has come through Abraham and Sarah. A a nation who's been taught and raised uh, uh, knowing that they needed a savior. And that promise that was made to Abraham is fulfilled in Christ. And 2,000 years later, that story is still rewriting our stories. The power of the gospel that you can be clothed in Christ and have your past reinterpreted, your future reclaimed, and your life framed by the grace of God. That's why they call it good news. But it has to be the story, not just a a minor note in your story. It has to be the story that you live your story into. So how does that reframe, reinterpret, and reclaim? Let me give you a a few thoughts. It all happens, your whole story your past, your present, your future, your whole story happens within the context of God's salvation. Okay? Which means there are horrible things that have happened, but there is no story that is more dominant 
in your story than this one. Christ gets the last word in your story. He's the one that has been writing it. And even though there is uh, violence and oppression and contradiction that comes from a broken and fallen world, he has the last word. Can you see your past within the context of his grace? Can you understand your failures and your mistakes? Can you understand your pain and your suffering? Can you begin to understand your life through this whole larger story of Jesus' salvation of you? Can you reinterpret your past through the gospel? That means nothing occurred whether you're the victim or the perpetrator that was greater than Christ's salvation. That's a hard one. If you're the victim, you feel like I've been named by abuse and I've been named by injustice and I've been named by oppression. But even in that story, I'm not saying God created those things, but I'm saying he is reinterpreting those things that they created a need in you, a need to heal, a need to forgive, a need to move on. And that need in you was a need for ultimately a savior. And a savior was given by grace who can be both your forgiver and your healer. There's freedom in Christ. Christ has the last word. You can reinterpret your past through the lens. And if you're the perpetrator, and usually we're a mix of both of these, but if you're the perpetrator and you look back at what you've done and you're full of shame, you're full of guilt, you're full of conviction, and you sense that need, that need is for a savior who can forgive you who can heal you, who can set you free. And your past, the clothes of your shame and guilt, the clothes of your abuse and victimization can be taken off and you can put on Christ. And the gospel reclaims your future. There's no coincidence that he ends this by saying that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. You are an adult child named God's son, named God's daughter, awaiting the inheritance that he has given us in Jesus, which means anything that the Father gives Jesus is yours. And that should reclaim your present moment. No matter how difficult it is, and I'm sure there are, I'm not belittling difficulty. Because I know what it is to be in tough places. But what I'm trying to tell you is that God has the last word in your story. And that you're an heir. And that you may suffer and have trouble in this world. But take heart, Jesus overcame the world. And you are in Christ. The gospel is the story, you guys. 
And if we can begin to see our life and to let our story be written within the context of it, it will change you. At the core, it will transform you. So today we come to this table and I don't know what you need to do here. There's a lot going on. Whether you need to come to this table and let your story be shaped by this bread and this wine, this broken body and this shed blood. To come and be forgiven, to come and receive life, to, be, to come and be named as son and to be named as daughter. You may need to come and lay down the lies and the laws that you've believed, confessing that I thought I could get life somewhere else besides Jesus. But wherever you are, you need to come. You need to come to the gospel. You need to come to Jesus. Some of you are here today and you need to receive Jesus. You need to recognize, man, I've sinned and I need peace with God. I want the blessing of being saved by Jesus Christ. There's gonna be people at the doors. They're ready to pray with you. No matter what you need prayer for. But will we today have the courage to hear Paul's words for ourselves? And allow the gospel story to rewrite our story through the power of Jesus Christ. That's what we get to respond to today. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, it's overwhelming to me how how majestic and glorious and beautiful uh, your gospel is. And yet, it's also overwhelming how quickly I could be caught up in a story that doesn't give life. My prayer today is that you, Holy Spirit, would come and that you would set us free from our laws that we have believed would give us life and have only brought us death. That you would come and apply the promise to our hearts that Jesus Christ saves us. Jesus, that you would come by your spirit and you would clothe us with yourself. That you would bring us home into our inheritance. And that today we could, be, we could hear you affirm in us that we are sons and daughters of God. We are adult heirs who await just an amazing inheritance. That we would come ultimately, Jesus, to worship you. Because that is the only worthy response to someone who has loved so much and given and sacrificed and been so gracious to save us. You are our king. You are our brother. You are our God. Would you, would you rewrite our stories? through your grace. Now, as we come to your table, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.imagodaycommunity.com.